This is the Village Church Q&A podcast, where our goal is to create digital, shareable, and helpful content to make disciples who will go, grow, and overcome. Thank you, listeners, for joining us today at the Village Church Q&A podcast. Pastor Tim and Pastor Michael with you. We've got a question today, Michael, that is pretty pretty timely with uh, some current events that are going on. From Genesis, how should a Christian view the death penalty? I, I wonder why they put that caveat at the beginning mm-hmm. from Genesis. Let's talk about the death penalty here. Can we talk about something else first? Oh, you want to talk about something else? So this morning I was listening to the uh, podcast that got released today. Our podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Q&A yeah, podcast. Yeah. And here's what I thought. Someone's going to listen to this and they're going to hire you to hire be on me? a radio show. Yes. Your, <laughs> your, your, your voice is so warm (laughs) and like inviting your tone. I was listening to it. I'm like, this is like straight out of like an MBI, like Moody Babel Institute show or something. Oh my goodness. Anyways, somebody is going to hear your voice one day. You're painting it on way too thick here. This is just ridiculous. I got no reason to build you up right now. (laughs) I mean, we're not broken. We're not, I'm like, you know, it's just another day we're doing our thing, you know, but I was listening this morning. I was like, wow, you're, You've got a radio voice. Your face is lovely too, but oh, just, no, no, no. that wasn't like a preset up for like, <laughs> hey, but I got a radio face. Radio face. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's get to the question. Genesis, death penalty, et cetera, et cetera. Whenever you look at Old Testament issues, let's break them up into three categories. So maybe I'll give some categories and then we'll, um, I'd love to hear kind of how you yeah. apply these like now. Mm-hmm. So when you take like an Old Testament subject, it could be homosexuality, it could be gay marriage, it could be murder, it could be lying, it could be anything. Mm-hmm. You have three categories of biblical history. You have pre-law, you have law, and post-law. So Correct. pre-law would be before Moses. That would be from Adam to Moses. Right, from Genesis. Yep. And several chapters into Exodus. Yep. I mean, Abraham had no law per se. Correct. You know, uh, he didn't have the official 613 Jewish laws. I mean, mm-hmm. God was building a nation, but it wasn't until Moses that they actually had this law. Right. So Moses comes and God enacts this, it's called the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, the Mosaic Law. So this law takes effect from Moses to Christ. Mm-hmm. The law had an expiration date built into, built into it, it, and the law was preparatory for the Messiah. So when the Messiah comes, the law goes away, and a new law comes in. Mm-hmm. So you've got pre-Moses, so Adam to Moses, you've got Moses to Jesus, and then you've got Jesus to today. To today. Situations can act—there are different ethics that can play out or different scenarios. So, for example, the Bible—we'll uh, uh, just pick on— um, Adultery, okay? okay. Uh, I'm sorry, it took me a minute to find one that wasn't unnecessarily controversial, okay. right? Adultery is always wrong, always and ever, mm-hmm. right? Before Moses, there didn't seem to be corporate punishment, legal punishment for it that God instituted. Now, he wasn't in favor of it, right? Mm-hmm. But even that, before law, there's no that I can think of. No, you know what? There is. Uh, Joseph. Um, Joseph knew it was wrong right. to have a sexual relationship with Potiphar's wife. So, so you, here's one. Yeah. The one that I always think of is Moses. I mean, Moses, you know, uh, I'm sorry. Abraham. Abraham. Abraham and Sarah. Yep. Sarah's beautiful. They go to a foreign land and Abraham is afraid yes. for his life. Yes. And even the Drop foreign the king knows that it's wrong for what is about to happen. And, yep. he, and he is angry with Abram saying, hey, why didn't you tell me she yep. was your wife? Yep. And so 
narrative communicates ethics, um, often like through story. And so you're learning God's view of that mm-hmm. through the story. So yeah, adultery is wrong, pre-law. But in the law, now for Moses, if you commit adultery, you get stoned to death. Oh yeah. Right? And with Jesus, adultery is still wrong. Yes. Okay. But now the community is not able to stone them. Correct. They confront them and kick them out of the community if they're unrepentant. Yes. And God promises to take vengeance. And yeah, then God will take care of the, the punishment. So it's interesting because you have one issue, but it is always wrong to a degree, but it's addressed very differently. Mm -hmm. So the death penalty is one of those other issues that you got to look at it through each of these grids. And so pre-law, do you have Genesis um, where God talks about, uh, I think it's Genesis 9 uh, or 5. I'm just making stuff up at this point. (laughs) Um, If Basically, he says, if you shed blood by man's blood, you shall be shed. The the point Mm -hmm. of it is. This is where the origination of the death penalty came mm-hmm. is if you kill somebody, you're forfeiting your own life. Um, so if you're going to kill somebody, don't get caught, basically, is the moral of the story. Just kidding. But the uh, the idea here is that um, death penalty launched there. But the reason God did this is because man is made in the image of God. So when you kill an image bearer, uh, the direct punishment by God is that your life should be taken. Here's what's interesting about that. That law, if you will, it is pre-Mosaic law. It seems to be an overarching eternal principle. Yes. Okay? That if you take the life of someone, your life should be taken. So what we often do is we go back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3 for God's design for marriage and for gender and for sexuality where God communicates the ideal and the prototype. Um, We go to Genesis to the early chapters and um, we, we see God's heart and values and then what we find is that they they play themselves out throughout all of Scripture. And so when you get to the law, which is the second period, and I, you're still looking for that text. We'll find yes. it in a second yes. here. But yeah. when you get to the law, if you murder somebody, what happens? Yeah, it's the death penalty. The death penalty happens, right? Now, under Christ, here's the big question. If you murder somebody, what should happen? Right. So here's where Christians got to just use their brains. Tell me when you got the text, by the way. Right. Christians sometimes think the church should be against the death penalty, which is fine. We have There's some contemporary issues of the death penalty we can talk about. The church is never sanctioned to, to implement the death penalty. It is the government's job. The government, according to Romans, is given the sword. The government is given the sword of war and of prosecution, et cetera, right? So the church should not should not be killing people. And somebody would say, well, why did God have the Israelites kill people? Because they weren't just the church. They were also the government. It was a theocracy. Yes. It was the combination of government and religion all connected, which is what you see in modern-day Muslim countries. The government is the religion. The religion is the government. So the verse that you're actually referring to is Genesis 9-6. And in that passage, it says, whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Yep. So what is being expressed there is the value of human life in the eyes of God, because every human life is an image bearer. Mm. And if you take it, you're done. Yeah. So that's what happened pre-Moses. Uh, before Moses, uh, different tribal communities had their own, we'll just say, government leadership, as small as it might be. And this is how they dealt with murders. This was a very easy thing, right? You kill somebody, you're done. Uh, under Mosaic law, the law gave the state, which was also run by the religion, if you will, the authority to kill murderers, okay? Mm-hmm. Under the new covenant, 
will say the religious part of God's people and the governmental part have been separated. Now, I'm not talking like some kind of separation of church and state here. No, I'm not, no, no, that's not no, what I'm no. talking. That's a different question of which I, by and large, don't agree with the way most people frame that. So what we're talking about here is that the government is typically run secularly, yeah. and the church is run by spiritual leaders. Mm-hmm. The spiritual leaders have no jurisdiction to take the life of another person because right. they murdered. They can kick them out of the church. The government, though, is given the responsibility by God to protect its citizens from murder. That is correct. And that's where the New Testament clearly teaches that in several places, that God has ordained government to maintain cultural safety nets to enforce some form of morality and peace. Yeah. Because without government enforcing it, we have lawlessness. We have chaos. Yep. God is the one who has ordained governments to exercise that moral control and the safety net for the innocent. That's why stealing is wrong, murdering wrong. Yep. The question now, I think the question's being asked part theologically, which we addressed, but now part practically, okay? So in America— you have a number of cases where there was a wrongful conviction. The person gets put on death row. Death row. And then some of them die unjustly, and they find out later through yes. some kind of DNA evidence and whatnot. So the the question is, since this is something that has not been foolproof, should we just send them to jail forever because functionally it has the same level of affect socially. Like if there was no consequence for a murderer, then Mm -hmm. they would do it again. Right. So the argument is made, look, the system isn't perfect. It's kind of flawed. So rather than making mistakes on killing them, can we just put them in jail for the rest of their lives? And that's where I think we need to go back, not pre-law, but go to the law, go to the law of Moses. And let's look at what Deuteronomy 17 says. Because Deuteronomy 17 is talking about Israel as a both government and as a spiritual entity. Mm. And in that passage, Deuteronomy 17, 6, where he's talking about the responsibility of the government to maintain safety for the people, Mm -hmm. he says, on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. So it's clear that even in the law of Moses, for someone to have the death penalty exercised on them, there had to be two or three witnesses to say, no, we are firsthand witnesses of this criminal act. So the question could be posed in America where the system is imperfect. And probably under Mosaic law at that time, it was imperfect as well. Yes. I mean, you can imagine two or three people that get together and they say, let's frame— And they falsely accuse someone. Yep. That's very plausible. And the Lord will take justice with that. But still, though, there's an injustice there. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because the Lord's positions did not change because a few people abused them. Right. But also, I do appreciate that in the last 15 to 20 years with really the growth of just requiring DNA evidence for different mm-hmm. things and just the the burden of proof that is put um, on prosecutors to really make mm-hmm. sure that like what you're saying is accurate. It seems like a lot of cases of wrongly accused people mm-hmm. happened 10 to 20 years or more yes. prior to now, and mm-hmm. they're just being revealed. Right. God's position doesn't seem to change. Correct. I totally agree with that. God's position has not changed on what he thinks about the value of human life and those who basically exercise their choice of playing God and taking a life. Yep. I'll just tell you my personal opinion because if a 
country is given the freedom by God to execute murders. Fine. And they got to do due diligence to make sure that they're accurate. And here's where I would probably land politically. I don't really care what they do as long as those people are permanently removed from society. In an age of grace, if you will, I think people can take this too far and say, but we should always give people second chances. It's interesting because there's a lot of grace that God gave to his people. But murder was one of those things that it's almost like people needed to know. If you cross this threshold, mm-hmm. you were done. Yeah, We see so much death now that it doesn't feel as big of a threshold. We're just used to death. And so that numbs you to it. Well, yeah. Like if you knew if you murdered somebody, you were going to be executed quickly, it oh. would really make you think twice. Now, here's where I'm having some issues. It's a very weird culture with policemen. Mm. It's a very weird culture with uh, if somebody breaks into your house, what are you allowed to do and not yeah, to do? Right. You could be charged. You could be sued by the person who broke in if you yes, shot them. Yes. Like the weird cases. My issue right now is that it seems that our response to this legally in America mm-hmm. right now is so off the charts weird at times. And there are these, though disparate, weird cases that give me, I actually have no confidence. Somebody broke into my house and I shot and killed them. Like, would I go to jail? Yeah, would you go to jail? Would you be charged? Like in theory, I should never be. And I know I probably wouldn't be, but, but what if I know. did? Or that person who, it was really, it was an incredible news article. I can't, it was about a year ago or two. And uh, somebody broke into their house. The uh, homeowner shot them, didn't kill them. And then the person who got shot and broke into the house sued, sued. them and uh, won the lawsuit. And yeah. it's like, what? That, that, that is just so... Oh. And that's where... Shoot to kill, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the, the bottom line. Yeah. I mean, I'd want to make a distinction between first-degree murder or second-degree murder. Oh, yes. And manslaughter. Yeah. There's a handful of people who accidentally or just wasn't the intent, you know what I mean? Right. Like you would with first-degree murder. They find themselves in prison and they get out after 10 or 15, 20 years, you know, and they should to a degree. Mm-hmm. There is a difference. In the Old Testament, the law clearly distinguishes the difference between premeditated and involuntary accidental murder. Yep. At this point, our system is so unique and different from Old Covenant law and from tribal communities dealing Mm -hmm. with murder in-house, if you will, that I give a lot of leverage to people to say, look— do what you want, but here's what we need to know. For first-degree murder, they need to be completely removed. Yeah. When we're talking premeditated, when we're talking this kind of level of stuff, like for justice, whether they're killed or not, leave it up to the states and government. I don't care about that. But like I do care that they are permanently removed mm-hmm. and that people need to understand that if you walk this path, there's no going back, done. But I also want to make sure that in every culture, uh, this is a biblical expectation as well, there'd be just a high demand of proof. Unbelievably yes. high. Yeah. Beyond a reasonable Beyond doubt. Beyond a reasonable doubt. Where Christians just need to remember is that God is not opposed to the death penalty. Pre-law and during law, he instituted the death penalty. Right. And post-Christ gave the government the freedom to implement it mm-hmm. as well. God's not concerned about that. God's concerned with removing the murderers of image bearers out of culture, right. out of society. Mm-hmm. In their day, killing them was the way to do it. Right. If we really want to pay for someone to be in prison for life and that's a better route to take, on the one hand, as a Christian, I can look at that and say, it gives them an entire lifetime to repent yeah. and to come to Christ, which is a win. And it'd be uh, nice if that's what happened, but I'm just thinking of some individuals that committed some heinous crimes. Yep. They were sentenced to life in prison without parole. Moses, David, Paul. Yeah, I'm thinking of other wicked people more currently, though. Right, I know, but the, I, the challenge a Christian can say to you is, oh yeah, get them out of culture, yep. fill the point of what God's trying to do, 
and give them time yeah. to come to the Lord. I, again, mm-hmm. I'm just saying it's a viable option. Yeah. A government is free by God to take that or not take that. I sure. think their obligation is to remove them from culture. Well, hopefully you answered death that question. From the penalty to the extravaganza. Yeah, now <laughs> we're going into a more lighthearted question. Why do we do the Easter egg extravaganza? We do that every year, the day before Easter. That's a great question. Let's go for that one next time. Sweet. Sweet.